Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Evolution Exposed Exposed series, published November 3rd, 2020, Noah's Flood and Catastrophic Plate Tectonics, featuring Stephen Bauman. We are putting on a conference called Evolution Exposed. We pulled in experts on the subject of evolution for a total of 11 speakers and gave them just 15 minutes to give us their best. And on top of all that, a one-hour Q&A panel session. You're going to love Evolution Exposed. Anyone can refute evolution. You to the zoo to me and you. Call that a fairy tale. Not allowed to ask questions. It made evolution look ridiculous. That was the foolishness of atheism. I yeah. knew I was going to get corrected. No, I wasn't even listening to your answer. <laughs> this guy might be coming for you. Welcome to Apologia, and another installment of Evolution Exposed, Exposed. Our claim-by-claim investigation of the Creation All-Star Mega Seminar. If you'd like to catch the series from the beginning, tap on the playlist above my head. As expected, Ray Comfort wrapped his segment with a sermon, and the seminar rolled on to its second speaker, Dan Biddle from the Genesis Apologetics Ministry, whom I recently responded to in regards to Jesus' death miracles. Here we go. I'm going to do my best to cover all kinds of information as quickly as possible. So I'm going to be giving a very fast hyperspace uh, tour really at the, at, the, at the forest level of Noah's Flood and dinosaurs. But if you'd like to get more information, please go to the following video on YouTube. This is one of our leading videos. It now has about 2.5 million views. 2.5 million? <laughs> That's a lot of views. And I'll be covering some of the highlights that are, are going to be featured in this, uh, that are featured in this video on YouTube. Well, unlike the Rapid Fire Seminar... I want to make sure in this series that we're taking whatever time is necessary to address the best version of these claims. So where applicable, we'll include the clips from this source video rather than Dan's rushed summary. Also, take note of the parenthetical on that title, From Pangea to Today. Might be important later. We produced it by collectively working with the leading flood geologists from the leading creation ministries in the world. Well... If Dan's been working with the world's leading flood geologists, then I'd better get one actual geologist. Oh dear, not the dirt people. Hello everybody, my name is Steve Bauman. Many of you already know me. I am a licensed professional geologist. And today I'm gonna talk about young earth creationists, their deliberate misconceptions of geology. There's no other way to say it, because that's what it is. They are trying to lead you down a path by not giving you all the information and they're hoping you don't know enough and you go oh yeah that's cool now i don't want to bash anyone's faith you know i'm a non-believer but that's my thing i have no problem with people reconciling their faith with science that's fine to me they can coexist but when you try to force science to fit your religion it doesn't work 
You have to oversimplify, dumb down, and misrepresent things and invent terms we as geologists don't use. And that's done deliberately by young earth creationists to muddy the waters. And when I hear them used, I know exactly where you're getting your information from because we as geologists don't use certain terms. This stuff is not simple. It takes a lifetime of study to understand a lot of this stuff. If you don't have somebody to ask questions to, you can be easily led down the wrong road. Join us now as we reveal how Noah's flood lines up with brand new scientific research. Over 1,800 oil well boreholes from four continents have all been compiled and mapped. The newly emerging map tracks the thickness and extent of each rock type as they were laid down by the flood. This research reveals the same six mega sequences of sedimentary rock deposits across multiple continents. When young earth creationists talk about mega sequences, they are real. Those do exist, but those are phanerozoic. What does that mean? That means they are Cambrian or younger from 541 million years to today. And they exist mostly as intercatonic basins like the Illinois Basin. And the Illinois State Geological Survey has a beautiful state map of Illinois showing you cross-sections and the geology of the basin. And just by looking at that in such a simple basin, you can tell it's nowhere near as simple as portrayed by young Earth creationists. Young Earth creationists try to sit there and try to convince you that the Sauk sequence in Younger, which is the beginning of the Cambrian, the Phanerozoic mega sequences, if you will, to today, are one layer, begat another, begat another, begat another. And layer cake geology is a very entry-level concept taught to you before you actually learn real geology. It's to demonstrate to you basic stratigraphic principles, okay? And young earth creationists ignore in their entirety pre-Cambrian sedimentary basins. And there are many, and they are vastly thicker than the Phanerozoic ones. For example, the Belt Supergroup in Montana, Idaho, and in British Columbia, it's called the Purcell, is three times that thick. And you go to the Grand Canyon, one of the young earth creationists' favorite places to take you. And below the Cambrian deposits is something called the Grand Canyon Supergroup, which is three times thicker than the Phanerozoic deposits in the canyon. And they're completely ignored. Now, if the Earth were young and you have these thick sedimentary deposits that occurred before the flood, why are there only stromatolites in those? Where did these deposits come from? How did they get there? These are things young earth creationists don't address because it doesn't fit the narrative. Each mega sequence contains a huge stack of rock, often with coarse grain sandstone on the bottom, then finer grain deposits like shale, then topped by limestones. I would love to see you try to get a kilometer or so thick limestone unit precipitated out of seawater in a matter of, I don't know, 100 days? Yeah, the fastest we've ever done it in a lab, I believe, is six centimeters in a year. <laughs> so that seems to be the upper limit. It's a law of physics thing. It has to do with the salinity of the oceans, the temperature of the oceans, stuff like that. You can't just start saying, well, this happened because I said it happened. Change the entire laws of physics and not propose an alternative model. That's not how science works. Each mega sequence is bounded above and below by flat, eroded surfaces called unconformities. 
A few places on Earth have layers that represent all six megasequences. Okay, let's talk about unconformities for a little bit because this is something that young Earth creationists totally misrepresent especially in between the mega sequences. And these do have names, and I've heard creationists apply the names correctly, like Sock and Tippecanoe and things as such, but they represent them totally incorrectly. They make it sound like it's very simple layer cake geology. Like, unconformities can be formed by erosion, but they don't have to be. I've done whole videos on unconformities that are really, really long, and I'm going to try to keep it simple here. I'm going to stick with the claim that unconformities are flatlying in between the mega sequences. And I've heard this all the time. This is simply not true. And it's not even true in the Grand Canyon, which is one of their favorite places to talk about. I have done a whole video where I've taken you to the base of the Sock's mega sequence, if you will. The Sock is divided into other sequences as well. In Baraboo, Wisconsin, there is an angular erosional unconformity between the Baraboo Quartzite on the North Limb and the Cambrian Sandstones, and it is not flat by any means. That is a misconception, and that is an attempt at a deliberate misdirection and falsehood. The unconformities in between the mega sequences are not flat lying and continuously everywhere throughout the globe. Now, young earth creations don't actually say that, but that is strongly implied by the language I've heard used. Unconformities do not continue forever. Conformities do not continue forever. Even if you just look in the Illinois State Geological Survey's Bulletin 95, you can see that the unconformities are not continuous. All right, they don't continue forever. Geologists agree on the six mega sequences, but they differ on the time scale in which they happened. If they took millions of years, then they have little to do with the flood. But if they were all deposited rapidly and recently, then the flood should come to mind. Many also question when a larger landmass, such as a Pangaea-like supercontinent, broke into continents that moved to their current configuration. Young Earth creationists like to talk about that. You know, Pangaea, it's split apart. It fits our catastrophic plate tectonics model. Well, it's not the only one. Before Pangaea, there was a similar continent about 1.1 billion years ago called Rodinia, and that would eventually break up and then form Pangaea eventually. In order to identify and construct the position of continents from long, long ago, we use something called paleomagnetism. Many of you are probably familiar, and young Earth creationists will admit this, that you know you can get paleomagnetic data from the ocean crust. But you can also get it from the continental crust. A friend of mine, she does this. She studied the Keweenaw dikes in North America and in India to help reconstruct the supercontinent Rodinia 1.1 billion years ago. Yes, we don't have ocean crusts from that long, but we do have these dike swarms they usually exist in. And as long as they're unaltered, you can take a core sample and you have to know its orientation when you do it. And you can definitely get its paleo latitude. And you may sit there and go, well, how do we know the Earth had a dipole system a billion years ago? Well, because we can form what's called tracks. We compile this data and they move in nice curves about the Earth's surface over time. This shows us that plate tectonics was in operation, continents were moving, but the fact that it's not scattered randomly shows us we had a dipole magnetic field. 
This extends to about 3 billion years ago. So that's how we reconstruct things like Rodinia, which predates Pangaea. And I never hear young Earth creationists say anything about this. Then there's other supercontinents that are even older than that. Which should remind you of the name of the Genesis Apologetic source video, which openly specifies from Pangaea to today. They're specifically telling us that they are ignoring Rodinia and all the data from before Pangaea, because that would make their hyperfast tectonics model seem even less likely. So the biblical view, in short, is simply that on the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that very day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened. Scalding hot magma vaporized massive amounts of water that jetted into the atmosphere. The water fell back to Earth as intense global rain, along with torrential rain from heaven for 40 days. Worldwide catastrophic rifting caused massive mud-filled tsunamis. Okay, let's get into terms deliberately made up by young Earth creationists in order to mislead you. This is a common tactic to confuse people. And they will take words or phrases within the profession because geology, like all professions, takes words that are in common use and will apply them in non-common ways. This happens in most professions. This is not news. But if you don't understand the language and someone knows you don't, they can come in, take a word or two that you may have heard, and totally tie it into something else that they've made up and makes no sense when you actually look into it. Now, I've gone into rants before. My favorite to use is geologic column. Another of my favorite ones is worldwide catastrophic rifting. Worldwide catastrophic rifting caused massive mud-filled tsunamis. And this goes back to plate tectonics. This is just word salad. There is no evidence of catastrophic rifting. And I've never heard it defined. And we, we can know that that happened today by what's called the process of catastrophic plate tectonics. So this concept of catastrophic plate tectonics, moving plates at two meters per second, isn't possible. You can't take a solid object and another solid object and jam one into another really fast, really hard without creating dire side effects. A perfect example of this is take your hands, put them together, rub them slowly. You know, they pass alongside one another pretty easily. Now start rubbing your hands together really, really fast. What happens? You generate heat, okay? Or another analogy would be if you were pushing a car, you can put a car into neutral, even though the car weighs far more than you do. It's much more massive than you. And push it down a road, you can do that by yourself. But what happens if you run at that car really fast and it's in neutral and just plow into it to try to move it? You end up on your hind end. <laughs> the car doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> this is physics. And geology, like any other form of science, is subject to the laws of physics. The fact that there's no mechanism doesn't seem to bother young Earth creationists. See, that's the whole thing with this whole concept of catastrophic plate tectonics, is it's talked about. But where are the models? Yeah, they sit there and say two meters per second. Oh yeah, this does this. But where's the maths? Where's the predictions? What can I test? 
that's never given. And they don't give it because they know it's easily falsified. I mean, I don't even need to run the experience. Basic physics tells me it's not possible. But if you don't know anything about physics, they can lead you down a rabbit hole. Where we have massive tsunamis that are being brought up on the North American continent, continents all over the world, but it's from catastrophic linear rifting. And like I said, they, they go for a rift-driven system, which is not how plate tectonics is driven. But anyway, if you start pushing things around really fast, you're going to create heat and friction. You're basically going to melt the crust, okay? Earth will not survive. You cannot push plates about the globe at two meters per second. It was that very linear rifting and seafloor spreading that caused subduction, that caused rapid cycling tsunamis to bring muddy uh, water up on the North American continent and again, all the other continents really quickly in ways that was uh, resulted in the demise of the dinosaurs. In order to get earthquakes strong enough to create tsunamis where the waves are hundreds of meters high, well, you're going to need a magnitude, if I remember correctly, it's like a 13 or 14 in order to generate tsunamis that are like a kilometer, two kilometers, three kilometers high. And those type of seismic forces would literally rip the planet apart. The impact that created the moon wasn't even a 14, <laughs> okay? The, we're talking about planetary destructive forces here that other than, well, God willed it to hold together, it violates every law of physics that we know, every experiment we've ever done, anything we've tested, it flies in the direct face of everything that we know about physics and chemistry and geology. You just can't create those kind of earthquakes without destroying the planet. And the Earth inside does not have that kind of potential energy to even generate those type of earthquakes anyway. <laughs> okay? It's just not a physical possibility. Why the whole swath of the area there in the middle of America was wiped out when catastrophic rifting happened in the beginning stages of the flood. According to Dan, it happened in the beginning stages of the flood. His model is that layers of sediment were being applied to North America by really tall, dirt-carrying waves repeatedly splashing onto the continents, such that the edges of the continents were wet first and the middle would have stayed safest the longest. For this splish-splash model to work, the continents would have had to have split almost immediately, in the beginning stages. It doesn't make sense if the land masses are all together. Now, if we jump ahead to the Q&A session at the end of the seminar, the topic of catastrophic plate tectonics comes up again. And it makes so much more sense if there was one continent originally and it was the flood that split it up and uh, processes at the end of the flood. Uh-oh. According to Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis, their model involves the continent splitting at the end of the flood, not the start of the flood like Dan. And the caller even notes that uh, Ken Hovind, who's Eric's dad, also mentioned about how the world was always as it is and just the water levels rose. So I'm just trying to get, I was a bit confused in which kind of view, uh, I guess. People say, Hovind, do you think the continents were ever connected? I say, they're still connected right now. Aren't they? I mean, if you look under the water, there's dirt under there. The oceans actually have a bottom to them. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Are, were they kind of, 
they're still connected. It's perfectly valid to have competing models to see which can account for the most data. But it's worth noting that not everyone on this panel endorses what's being presented here by Dan. As Eric Hovind says, Let's not change the word of God. And that's another one that we're going, okay, let's hold loosely to the idea that there wasn't a Pangea uh, and, and let's hold tightly to the word of God. They all agree creation science is about starting with the conclusion, then trying to work backwards to match observations to that conclusion. They think that an asteroid falling in the Yucatan Peninsula some 65 million years ago, which was 1,800 miles away from the kill zone, resulted in all these dead fossils in the middle of America. We have impact craters all over the planet. One of the ones I study is the Sudbury, 1.85 billion year old impact, larger than the one that killed the dinosaurs in Ontario. And these impacts occurred. So if you're going to use geology and you're going to sit there and acknowledge geology as science and try to use our terminology, but you're going to pick and choose certain things and ignore other things. We call that cherry picking. And I don't know how somebody can notice something they can't even observe, fountains of the deep, but fail to notice asteroids plummeting through the atmosphere to create all these impact craters. The fact that over a dozen states in the U.S. are filled with dinosaur fossils buried under heaps of mud also attests to the flood. In fact, geologists have found a temporarily exposed dinosaur peninsula where the dinosaurs made their last stand. Oh, this one. This is one of my favorite. Dinosaur Peninsula. Apparently, this is a new thing, and I am not a paleontologist. I study the Precambrian rocks. I study the structure, the sedimentology. I date the rocks. I do the geochronology. So fossils are not really my thing. But I do know there is no such thing as a dinosaur peninsula. This is a talking point. This is totally made up by young Earth creationists. There is zero evidence for this. It's just a something they made up so they can make it look like this was the last stand of the continent before the seas came in and drowned those poor dinosaurs. Scientists do not use this. There is no such thing. Now, as plate tectonics moves the continents about the globe... When a supercontinent tends to break up, you do get more buoyant ocean crust, so the seas tend to spill upon the land a little bit. That's these mega sequences that they talk about. So you're still going to have dry land, and they've pulled this concept of a dinosaur peninsula to make it look like there's nothing but vast graveyards of dinosaur bones throughout North America. At least that's what I get from what I've heard them talk about. And there's just no such thing. There is no such thing as a dinosaur peninsula in North America. This, this isn't a thing. It's just not real. It's, it's word salad to mislead you. If something isn't explained to you, there's a reason why it's not explained. You can go online and Google erosion marks or erosional channeling or dinosaur peninsula and all that's going to come up is creationist stuff. Why do you think that is? It's because it's nonsense. It's deliberately meant to mislead you. These mass burial sites are common in the U.S. as well. For example, look at this dinosaur dig site in Wyoming, where a one-meter-thick layer of mudstone stretches for 80 acres with over a million bones buried in a graded, sorted bed where big bones are found at the bottom and little bones on top. The only way to develop a graded bed like this is by a catastrophic process that transports these bones and deposits them during a single event. 
There's this hydrological sorting involved, which is also total creationist word salad and isn't an actual thing because we do not observe this happening anywhere where there is a catastrophic event such as a landslide or a mud flow or a dam burst or the Mississippi overflowing in 1993. <laughs> this hydrological sorting is a nonsensical creationist concept. It doesn't mean anything and it does not happen. And when I've heard creationists talk about, well, there's bone beds or the bigger bones are on the bottom in a one meter sequence and there's smaller bones on top. They just say this and they'll say, well, it's like in Wyoming and it's an 80 mile area or something like that. But where? Which unit are you talking about? Which bed are you referring to? When you just say things like that without a context, without a location, this is very important when you do field work. And anybody who does field work and does geologic field work knows the importance of important note-taking. You get your location as close as you can. You take photos if you can. You carry a notebook with you. You draw in it to scale. You bring measuring devices, tape measures, GPSs, things like that. So you can take accurate notes and someone else can find where you are so they can check your data or pick up where you left off. This concept of just saying things and saying, yeah, it's in Wyoming, it doesn't mean anything. We certainly think that the flood provides a much better explanation. They give obscure explanations for this, but they don't make any sense and they aren't testable. And that's something I've run into with a lot of young earth creationists talking points is their talking points. In science, you have to develop a testable, predictable model to explain natural phenomena so others can verify or falsify it. It's very important to the scientific method. Arguments are not evidence in science. You can argue till your face falls off, but if you don't have the evidence to back your claims up, you're just talking, all right? And that's something I've said so many times. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm done, Paul. I don't think I can go anymore. Um, I appreciate it. That's okay, Stephen. I think Dan's done with the geology portion of his presentation. If you'd like to learn more from one of the most passionate and animated geologists I've ever encountered, check out Stephen's channel on YouTube. Sometimes he's debunking bad ideas, but more often he takes his audience to some of the most fascinating geological locations on Earth. Tell him Paul Gia sent you, and thank him for taking time away from his wedding planning to help us all today. Up next on Evolution Exposed Exposed, Dan wonders, How would an asteroid in the Yucatan Peninsula be responsible for burying all these creatures in hundreds of feet of mud? We don't think it makes much sense. That wouldn't make much sense, which is why no paleontologist thinks that. What else is Dan getting wrong about dinosaurs? Let's find out. See you there.